This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. Welcome, friends, to another edition of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager. In studio with me today, as always, is our pastor of spiritual formation, Reverend Sam Kastensmith. And we come today to the last half of Ephesians chapter 4. This is part of our series of podcasts supporting the messages in the One Body, One Mission series that's going on right now at Rio Vista Church. So uh, if you've not been following along with that, we encourage you to get to the website or the app and, and do so. You know, Sam, our Christian walk, which seems to be a very complicated thing, is actually based on very simple principles. Totally. And and yet the application of those principles gets very complicated. Yeah. And so Paul, when he's he's turning a corner, so we're in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 17, all the way to verse um, 32. Yeah. Today. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll be done on time, folks. (laughs) I wouldn't count on it. Um, but anyway, like he's getting into this and he's giving these big, broad categories, but then he fills them in with like a whole lot of shotgun pellets about the way that those categories manifest themselves. And so if, if you remember last week, Ephesians 4, 1, it starts with, you know, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have received. And then in 17, now he's shifting and he says here, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And he throws this out, and there's actually a a really um, profound truth in in what he's saying there. So first off, what does it mean to walk as the Gentiles do? I was going to ask you that because this was written to Gentile church. Correct. So wouldn't they have been offended? (laughs) (laughs) Not to walk as the Gentiles do. Hey, wait. So I'm a Gentile, so like right. we should be offended, right? right? But what it's saying is, like the people in that time that were Gentiles did not have exposure to the promises of God, to the truth of the gospel, to all of those things that that make life rich, and so they just, as he's going to describe, they chased after all these appetites. And it says one of my favorite lines in this opening verse here is, "In the futility of their minds." That word futility. And the Greek is actually the word that's used when they translate the Old Testament into Greek in the Septuagint. That word futility is the same word that shows up in Ecclesiastes, where it talks about meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Vanity, yeah. Yeah, vanity. And the word behind that is smoke or vapor in the Hebrew. It's hevel. And so the idea is, you know, you live as the Gentiles do. If you're, if you're living like that, it's all futility. Like you're chasing after things. And everybody knows this. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to talk about their mortality and the whole reason for living because it's an uncomfortable conversation. But what Ecclesiastes gets to that's really brilliant is you go through this life and you're grabbing at this and you're grabbing at that and you're chasing your career and you're chasing after money and you're chasing after all those things. And at the end of your life, when you open your hands, you find there's nothing there. It's all taken away from you by the grave. You lose your career, you lose the money, you lose your relationships. Without Christ, it all goes away. And so what Paul is saying is, stop walking like the Gentiles do. 
that are they're in this you know their minds are chasing after things that are utterly empty that becomes smoke vapor it just disappears hmm. let me ask you another question when he says this i say and i testify in the lord because i was looking at that in some of the other translations and like for example the new american standard which is a very literal you know, mm-hmm. said uh, this i say therefore and affirm together with the Lord. And then the New King James has testify like the ESV does. But then um, the uh, New Revised Standard Version, which is a descendant of the RSV, said that uh, to insist on mm-hmm. in the Lord. What do you think he's getting at where he says there that he's testifying in the Lord? What do you think Paul's getting at? I think he's what he's saying is there's gravity to this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I say. So he, there he uses the Greek word lego, but then he adds testify, and I testify in the Lord. So it's not just me coming to you saying, hey, don't walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, but I testify in the Lord. And what he changes the word to something that's even got a greater gravity, which is martyrion. It's where we get the word martyr. That's testify. It's like, it's almost the calling of a prophet. I am mm. bringing you the direct command of the Lord. I'm speaking with his authority to you. And so he's heightening it. Like, you really need to listen because this is coming with authority. Yeah. Do not walk like the Gentiles. Yeah. Uh, I love Paul. I love the prison epistles. I love the book of Romans. I'm just a big Paul fanboy. Everybody that knows me knows that yep. about me. Okay. He's made fun of regularly for that. For that, I am. I mocked and deservedly so because I am a Paul fanboy. I've got a Paul tattoo. No, I don't. I don't. I don't have a Paul tattoo. I've thought about it, but I don't have one. You were talking about this idea that futility of their minds is tied to this idea of, of vanity, of mm-hmm. hevel from the yeah, Old Testament. Meaninglessness. It is meaningless. And he's not focusing on what it is they're doing. Mm-hmm. Correct. He's focusing on what the result of it is, and 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 we're going to see in in the next verse when we get there in just a second of of some of the of the causes of it. In other words, he's not coming out and saying you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, and let me give you a list of the things they're doing. No, what he's saying is all these things they're doing are vain. They're empty. Mm-hmm. They're meaningless. Yeah, and what does it ultimately get you? Right. Nothing. I understand. Do's and don't do's. You know, I, mm-hmm. I want a list of what I'm supposed to do. And in that respect, don't we sound like Old Testament Israel pestering, yeah. you know, Moses? Yeah. And there's, like, a, there's a legalism to it. Just tell us the things we're not supposed <laughs> to do and we'll avoid them. And here's Paul saying, no, no, what you're not supposed to do is have a vain and empty and meaningless mm-hmm. mind. Yeah, he has spent the first, <laughs> I mean, really, like that's that's pretty, that's profound. He spent the first three chapters of Ephesians telling us God's heart for us. For an eternal future with him, to be in relationship, to be adopted, to be predestined, to, to, to receive all the spiritual blessings upon us. Like he is calling us into this relationship. We're on a pathway to glory, to be with him forever, seated in the heavenly places. Like this is our path. That's where we're walking. And he's saying, don't be like the Gentiles. Right. who are just walking with absolute purposelessness that are just chasing one thing to the next, hoping that it will fulfill them for a moment, but they're eventually going to open their hand and find that it's all smoke. It's gone. Right. Come after me. I am the substance that you can find. I'm something that when you grab hold of, you get it. Like it, you get me. I'm with you forever. There's an inheritance with me that's never taken away. Yeah. But if you chase after the things of this world, one day you're going to find when you open your hand, it's all gone. It's like I said when we were opening up, these very, very simple concepts that apply so broadly across everything. It's, you know, we're not dealing with like the Mosaic Law had 
thousands, I guess. And it's, 613. 613. Laws. Thank you. See, the seminary guy knows 613 <laughs> laws in the Mosaic law. I hope that's right. I hope so, too. Because I was going to say there's probably 10,000, because that's what it seems like sometimes. Um, but there were probably 613 with 5,000 explanations of different <laughs> add-on things you could do. But the point still is, 613 laws, like you're supposed to do this or you're not supposed to do that. Who could possibly keep track of that? I couldn't. Now Sam's Googling how many. I'm making were, sure. How many, how many Jewish laws? Jewish tradition is that there's 613 commandments. That's okay. correct. 600, okay. 613 commandments, either, either to do this or not do that. Correct. And, and so it's not possible for us to hold those 613 things in our mind at one time, but we can hold this in our mind. We can say, all right, I don't want to pursue things that are meaningless and empty and vain. And so that gives me a criteria. What am I chasing after? Is it something that's going to be meaningless, empty and And, vain? And this is one of the cool things. When they come to Jesus, one day they say, okay, out of all these laws, what's the greatest one? And he boils it down to two. Right. He says, so he says all of the law hangs on these two, right? And it's to love the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so stop for a moment there, because one of the cool things about that. Anything else you can give your heart to is going to be fleeting. It's it's smoke. One day you're going to open your hand and it's going to be gone. But the things that you can give your life to that have eternal significance is God and your neighbor. When you invest in him, that reward never goes away. When you invest in your neighbors, when you show love to them, when you love them as yourself, you're investing in eternal creatures that go on to receive a reward that are mm-hmm. going to be part of heaven forever. And there's no futility there. Right. But if you chase your, you spend your life building bigger barns so that you can store all of your treasures, one day you're going to find that all those are gone and right. you're empty handed. They yeah. don't come with you. Yeah. So it says in verse 18 that they're darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Is this, <laughs> again, as a Gentile, I'm a little offended here, you know? It's really? Like, really? You know, it's like, um, but this idea that they're, that they're darkened in their understanding and then it, how it gets to the end of it through the hardness of their heart, it sounds mm-hmm. like this is something that they've chosen. That he's mm-hmm. saying they have chosen to do this. They have chosen to not understand the truth. Yeah. And so when we read this and Paul, because it's, it, you know, like, like you're talking about, it's high, we tend to miss what he's getting at. But what he's doing, all these descriptions are sensory. So he's saying they're darkened in their understanding. Oh. They're alienated from the life of God because ignorance is in them. Remember, he said, don't walk as the Gentiles. So the idea is you're walking somewhere. You're going on this path in life. And he's saying the Gentiles are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from God. He goes on in the next verse to say they've become callous and they've given themselves up to sensuality. So what do all those things have in common? I want you to imagine that you're walking and you're trying to get to a destination, but you have no sight. Mm. You're, you're darkened in your understanding. There's no light. You can't see. You're alienated from God, so you have no one to guide you. You have no one to say, turn right, turn left, come this way, follow my voice. You're callous, so when you reach out to try to feel your way, you're so desensitized that you're like, like on your hmm. fingertips. If they're callous, you can't feel. And so you're totally at a loss for how to walk in this world. You have no senses. They're all gone. 
I didn't even see that, but you're right. It's like the sight darkened, and then you don't sound. You yeah. can't hear no God. No one's guiding you. Right? You're and alien. You can't touch. You can't touch, so you've, we've lost sight, hearing, and touch. Yeah. So imagine this huh. guy who's walking around, and he's in utter darkness. There's no one guiding him. He can't feel anything, and yet he's being caught, he's supposed to be at a destination. You can't get there. You'll never get there <laughs> unless someone peels off that callous, mm. unless someone shines light into your world, mm. unless someone restores that relationship and calls you to himself. Come this way, right? So apart from him, we're blind, deaf, and numb. Hmm. Hmm. I also think that because it says due to the hardness of their heart, and then it says they've become callous. Well, you know, that kind of goes to this idea of I'm doing the wrong thing and I'm doing it over and over and Mm -hmm. over again. And that's how you become callous to it. It's like, well, if I do something that's wrong, I get that kind of, oh, I think that there's a a certain conscience that we all sort of have. Uh, We know when we're doing right or wrong. In a general sense. I mean, there's, there could be specific things, but if I, if I see your wallet sitting on your desk and I come take your wallet, I'm going to have a moment where I'm like, Ooh, that's not right. I shouldn't be taking <laughs> that's this wallet. That's good to know. Yeah. Okay. But the point is that about the 15th wallet that I pick up off yeah. somebody's desk, it's like, yeah, it's not such a big deal yeah. anymore. And I do think that that's this idea of where they talk about they become callous. This is because they've repeated the same things over and over again that they've done. And so they've gotten to the point where it just they don't even feel it anymore. Mm-hmm. When you come to sin, like the first few times I can remember coming to particular sins, you're like, well, that was fun. And there were no consequences. My life didn't fall apart. And sure enough, before you know, everything about it is numb. Your conscience isn't bothered by it anymore. And then you're drinking your own destruction and you don't even know it because you're callous. Mm-hmm. You're numb to the sensation and you just keep drinking your destruction. And yeah, and it says that, that they've given themselves up to sensuality. You yeah. know, this idea that, that they're not being led astray, they're pursuing their own appetites. Um, yeah. That, and that word sensuality, that is such a soft translation of that word there. Uh, in the Greek, it's, it's literally like it can be brutal. It's debauchery. It's, it's the total absence of restraint. It's an insatiable desire for pleasure. And so that word is saying, like, in your numbness, you, you don't even care that people see you doing this anymore. Like, you've just, you've, you go off the deep end to where your only concern is yourself. You'll do anything to bring yourself pleasure, even when it's hurting those around you. Yeah, the, uh, the term actually, I think, means open shamefulness. Mm-hmm. This yeah. idea that it's right. like, it's, it's something that should bring you shame, yep. but you're proud of it. Correct. Yeah, this brings me pleasure, so I don't care what it does to anyone else. Yeah. Boy, does that sound like modern-day America. (laughs) And then the other part is greed to practice every kind of impurity. And so the the idea behind it is you're totally blind to everything outside of yourself, and you only exist to serve your small, petty little existence. Hmm. And at the cost of everyone else, you're just greedy to practice every kind of impurity and to satisfy your every need. Everything serves you. It's all about you. Hmm. And that kind of makes me think about, uh, you'll be happy about this because it makes you think about Genesis. Um, but the, <laughs> so for Mark, it's Paul. For me, it's, it's Genesis. Genesis. But the aftermath, the immediate aftermath of the fall, the characters in there, um, you know, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and these, they, it's like everybody was very concerned with how this was going to affect them. Totally. 
Um, and that's kind of what I'm seeing here is this idea that it's pursuit of self. It's like, it doesn't matter how this is going to affect anybody else. This is what I want. And so I'm going to go for it. And in Genesis, as the result of the fall, it's like immediately their thoughts were for themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and that is when we, we talk about sin and words that make everybody in our culture uncomfortable, the root of it is we are obsessed with ourselves. That, so, so when he's talking about how you walk in a manner worthy, you remember what the words were? Humility gentleness now when he's talking about how the gentiles walk how how sinners lost sinners walk what is it it's all about me and meeting my pleasures and my desires and it's it's everything it's pride driven it's i only care about me yeah that's the probably the greatest definition of sin that you can have which is it's it's all about you Mm -hmm. yeah so then he moves on to say, but that is not the way you learned Christ. <laughs> and, and I realize it's just the English translation, and it's not necessarily Paul here, but I was happy to see an exclamation mark. Hey, some punctuation. Some punctuation. There. But that is not the way you learned you Christ. You know what I love about that? He doesn't say that's not the way you learned about Christ. He says that's the way you learned Christ. It's, it's like it's communicating experience. Like it's the, you know him. You're not knowing about him. You know him. That's not the way you experienced his love, his character, him. You know, I sort of saw it as this idea of Christ as life. It's mm-hmm. like saying this is not the way that that you learned about uh, learned how to live. This yeah, is not the design. The, right. This yeah. is not the design behind it. You know, the reason that you can't walk anymore as the Gentiles do is that's not your life anymore. Yeah. You know, part of making this decision, part of saying I'm going to follow Christ is to say that the life that I was leading I don't lead anymore. That's not the life I had. It seems to be like, oh, well, we've got the people in in any given congregation or group. It's like, oh, if you ask them to do this or you ask them to do that, you, you know, they're going to see that as an imposition. And I'm thinking, wow, you're seeing Christ or your obligations or your responsibilities as intrusive or, or an add-on to your life. They're mm-hmm. not. They replace your life. This You're trading an old life for a new life, and this is part of your new life. And, and so when Paul says these things to them, he's like, look, guys, this is not who you are anymore. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's exactly where he's going in these next couple of verses, where he's talking about your old self and your new self. I did think it was interesting that, that that immediately after this is not the way you learn Christ, he starts in with assuming. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I have to say this. We talked this. This was earlier uh, back with chapter two, and that was for you. Yeah. But again, I see Paul sort of pulling the spectacles down to the end of his nose and looking over. Going, assuming, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what is it that Paul is assuming about them here? Yeah. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self. Yeah. Um, And so he goes, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And there's a couple of things that totally jump out here at me. There's a couple of big topics here, yes. Wow. Yes. He says here, now notice this, that he says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires. That is totally upside down from the way that we see sin and identity, right? So if, uh, he says, your old self belonged to the former manner of life and your corrupt desires. Mm-hmm. Not your, behavior, your behaviors didn't belong to you. 
you belonged to your behaviors. And you go, wait a minute, that's not the way it works. And the Bible's coming saying, no, that's absolutely the way it works. Your behavior is sourced, like it's, it's, it comes out of your identity, right? So, so this, your old self belonged to those things. Your, your whole life was defined by those kind of, that identity, that selfishness, that corrupt desires. Mm. You were owned by them. Hmm. But now your new self, now what is it owned by? What identity is there now? The new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Mm. And so there is a very real sense that when you take on new clothing, it, it, it redefines you. It, like your identity, like you're talking about, your identity changes who you are. Mm-hmm. And if, if I begin to believe that I am adopted by God Almighty in heaven and that he has showered me with every blessing, that he has called me and cleansed me and he's made me righteous and his mercies are new every morning and he has overwhelmed me with kindness, if I begin believing that that's my identity, everything about my behavior then changes. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the middle of that, he says that to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, which cause, which always calls to mind to me, Romans 12, one and two, mm-hmm. um, because I think that that's the, uh, to me, those are the, those are the, uh, the go-to verses, the pivotal verses when we're talking about how is it that we're supposed to see this life transformation? It's caused by the transforming of your mind. Uh, Romans 12, one and two, which I'm going to read because there's never a wrong time to read from the book of Romans. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I love the phrase, so, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All right, so to deal with something real quick before we jump back sure. to Romans 12, because that is spot on to what Paul's getting in this passage. Mm-hmm. So you remember how it described the Gentile, and it says, you know, darkened in our understanding and alienated from sure. God and callous to your fingertips. Like the rest of this passage is going along. And now listen. So remember, you were darkened in your understanding, but here in Ephesians 4, now you've learned Christ. You've heard about him. You're taught in him. The truth has come. So light comes to your eyes, right? Sure. But then, so, okay, so now you're you're reunited with him. There's a new self. You're being called back into community. And and it even, even down to the point where at the end of this passage, you know, in the beginning, it's talking about how you're callous and hard of heart. One of the last words that it'll use to describe you in Ephesians 4 is tenderhearted. Everything Hmm. changes. Hmm. All the hardness melts away, and you are totally changed. Now, the old self according to this passage in Ephesians, is saying, you know, and and your blindness and your failure to see, what do you do? You chase after anything. All these, all the futility, you chase after things that give you pleasure for just a moment, and you know they're fleeting. You know they'll never satisfy. So when Romans 12 comes along, and it's saying, but okay, now you have light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, your mind is being renewed. And what does that cause you to do? That causes you to be a living sacrifice. It causes you to say, you know what, there are these things that I could chase after, but I'm going to lay them down to serve God, to serve others. I'm going to sacrifice my desires to chase after God's. 
And everything about you changes when your mind is renewed and you walk around in the truth of what the gospel is. It just it changes you to be somebody that rather than being totally self-absorbed about how others can sacrifice for me, now my character's changed and I'm interested in being a living sacrifice for God. Yeah. Which again is the that's good. That's the vertical. I'm gonna just go horizontal for a second because I'm the horizontal guy. You're the horizontal guy. I'm the horizontal guy. And because that verse, Romans twelve, one and two you know, you guys are always trying to tell us how we should live. I'm like, no, I'm suggesting this is how you should think, you know, it's good. I'm not going to give you a big list of things that you need to do or don't do. What we're going to do is we're going to tell you that, because this is what Paul is saying to you is that you need to think differently. You need to change the way that you think Mm -hmm. because that's going to change the way that you live. That's going to change the way that you are. You know, so many times there's people who, and I was this way. Let me just say, I was this way. I didn't want to sit around and learn about doctrine and positions and understand how God views me, how I view God. I didn't want to understand all of this. You know, I used to call it being so heavenly minded that you were no earthly good. Have you mm-hmm. ever heard that yeah, phrase? I've heard that. That's an unfortunate phrase. Yeah. Uh, it is an unfortunate phrase because it's, you can never be too heavenly minded. Agree. <laughs> but I believe that. So I'm like, oh, he's there's so. A, you know. There's a great C.S. Lewis line that says something along the lines of, you know, if you if you aim at earth, you get neither. Right. You aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. Right. You know, I think that's, you have, the, you have the clauses backwards or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something. Like, anyway. Anyway, cut C.S. that C.S. Lewis is much smarter than us. <laughs> but, these, but the idea is that if, if you get a list of things that you're not supposed to do, or a list of things you're supposed to do, and you set out to do them by your own want to, by your own strength, by your mm-hmm. own commitment, I'm going to do this because this is what Jesus wants me to do. In your own strength, you will burn out. You will eventually stop. You will eventually fail. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. Religion will feel like slavery. Yes. You said that last week, and that is so true. That is a good thing to keep in mind, folks. This is how you prevent religion from becoming slavery. Um, if what you do is change how you think, you know, renew your mind, make that be to the point where, okay, I'm no longer having to do these things by self-effort. I'm doing these things because it seems right to me to do them. It seems logical to me to do them. It's one of the things that it talks about um, in um, the idea of the, back in ancient Israel, they're like, you know, everybody did what was right in their own mind. Judges. Yeah. It was judges. Okay. Mm-hmm. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Right. So that is the natural human condition mm-hmm. is that we're going to do what's right to us in our own eyes. Well, if we change what our eyes are on so that what's right to us is no longer pursuing our own, mm-hmm. then we're going to do that. And you say, well, that's overly simple. It is. This begins with you putting your eyes on something different. This begins with you changing, you know, transforming and renewing your mind and, and seeing something else as being right. When you do that, yeah. that's the thing that you will begin to pursue. So I'm going to share... A story from an appointment. So another, if, another, if, another story. See, we Christians an, are big with stories. But, but it, this just makes sense to me. And so okay. if you're hearing this, I've gotten permission from the person to share his story anonymously. But I had a, a meeting this morning with somebody who came into my office, and they're really struggling with anger. And they said, you know, I, I, I've, you know this, this person that I genuinely loved has moved on and is now in a relationship with somebody else. 
and I'm heartbroken and I'm angry and I've been praying for God to give me, you know, to give me peace over this and he hasn't answered. And so I'm angry at God and I don't want to pray and I don't want anything to do with him. And so I said, okay, well, what do you do with that then? Let's, let's walk through it. Like you've got all this pain, you've got all this heartache. Apart from the Lord, there's nothing you can do with that except stew or tell yourself, get over it or whatever. But with the Lord, there's a couple of things that you can do. In him, you can take that hurt. And I actually actually used the living sacrifice. I said, you can take that pain and you can say, you know what, God? Like, I know I want peace with this. I know I want this relationship and it's not going to happen. But I'm going to take this pain and this heartache and I'm going to give it to you as as a means of showing you that you're more precious to me than it. And I'm going to offer it up to you as worship to give meaning to that pain. And they were like, well, God's not answering my prayers, and Hmm. I don't want anything to do with them. And we had this really beautiful moment where I was talking with him, and I was like, can I I just get real with you for a moment? And like, yeah. And I, I said, so let me tell you what you're going through right now. You feel like somebody that you love has moved on and won't give you their affection, their attention, and you're... You don't want to pray because you want nothing to do with God right now. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) You know, like here you have the Lord of the universe who sings over you, who delights in you, who wants your affections. And your response is, if I don't get what I want, I'm walking away. And he doesn't walk away from you. He chases after you. He, He was somebody that had somebody that he loved desperately, the church, walk away and want nothing to do with him. He stood over Jerusalem and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you mm-hmm. to myself, but you weren't willing. He knows those pains. You're not going. And so uh, why do I mention all this? At the end of this conversation, it was like, okay, what do you do with this? It's, I can't wave a magic wand and change your feelings, but what I can do is preach truth to you about who Christ is, who you are in Christ, how much he loves you, and when your mind embraces the truth, by the end of that meeting, you know, he was teary-eyed. Mm-hmm. And he was like, my goodness, I've been doing the same thing to my God that they've been doing to me. Yeah, And that truth softens to where you can walk through things with, with beauty even in the ashes. And just as a really practical thing, I mean, you're not suggesting, and, and I, I and we're not suggesting that somehow magically that that pain is going to go away. It it will over time, but it's not going to go away right now. This isn't going to, on the other hand, when you recognize that when I feel this pain, I know that it's not meaningless in my mind. I'm offering to God this pain as a sacrifice to say that he's more important as you were saying. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't require the pain to disappear, but it gives some meaning to it. Um, That's the thing that for me, um, because there's a branch of Christianity which will tell you that if you're doing everything right, if you're checking all the boxes, if you believe the right things in the right way, and you pray like you're supposed to, and you do that, everything is going to go well for you. And if things don't go well for you, if you suffer heartache, if you suffer disease and sickness or setback or whatever, that means there's something wrong with you. Yeah, that's you garbage. did something wrong. You broke down somewhere. You're right. That's garbage. It's the worst. It is the worst expression of Christianity. It's the anti-gospel. It is the anti-gospel. And it's the, and quite frankly, it's the anti-Christ. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so at the same time to say that, well, these things just happen. Stuff yeah. happens, man. It's just meaningless. It's just, you know, 
now what you're doing is you're looking back to like in Ecclesiastes where he's mm-hmm. like, hey, I've seen the great and I've seen the small and it's all empty. Man- meaningless. It's, it's all meaningless. Well, because why well, get out of bed at that exactly. point? Exactly. <laughs> well, and, and exactly. So th- there you have the other one where it's like, well, I don't even know why I try. But if you come back to the sense that everything that you have that happens to you in your, in your life, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you understand that the things that, that are in your life are things that are there by his providing, either, you know, it's, it's something that, that, that he has given you to go through, whether it's a, a time of blessing or a time of trial, but it has meaning. And when it's not purposeless, when it's not empty, that's when even your pain can have significance. Mm-hmm. Even your pain can be an offering because it's something that in your mind you know, I'm not going through this for no reason. Yeah, and you're not going through it alone. That's right. You know, that's, that's one of the things that's one of the great comforts to me is you know, a verse in Hebrews where it talks about how he can relate to us. You know, he's been tempted. He's, he's, he's right. faced all of this and he can relate to us. Like, and he did that for the sake. He knows what it's like to have somebody that he desperately loves walk away from him. He knows what it's like to be abused. He knows what it's like to be abandoned. He knows what it's like to be forsaken. He knows what all these things. Why does he do that? Because when you're in your tears and you're crying up to God, he hears that. Yeah. He, he, he not only hears it, but he's, he's been where you are. He can relate to you. But the great thing, when we come to God in our prayers and our pain, where you'll find the most satisfaction is not when you come to God and you say, God, answer my prayer because my greatest desire at this point is for you to give me this. The greatest and most powerful prayer is when you can go before the Lord and say, I desperately want this but I want you more. Mm. When you do that and you allow him to reach in and fill the, you know, and heal that broken heart and to overwhelm you with his love and to, to give purpose to all this and to begin to overwhelm you so that you can love others that have hurt you. When you do that, that ironically, that's when he answers those prayers. Hmm. Yeah. It's powerful. It is. It is. You made reference to that verse in Hebrews where it talks about uh, that that our high priest has been tempted as we are. Mm-hmm. The thing that I've always found interesting or, or, or noteworthy about that verse is I thought, hey, God let himself be tempted. Why? I mean, he didn't have to do that. That wasn't part of, you know— Jesus's mission yeah. wasn't to come down and be tempted. His mission was to come down and redeem us by his death, but he allowed himself to feel temptation. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, before that, the infinite God of the universe, the perfectly righteous God, satisfied in himself, had never known what it felt like to be tempted. He didn't know temptation. Temptation is one of the things we feel like we can't fight against. It's like, oh, I, I just give in because I know it's not going to go away and I'm going to be tempted with this forever and I get tired of fighting it. So eventually I just give up. And I let it take control of me, and I go into it. And Jesus put himself in the pathway of temptation. He, he didn't eat for 40 days. He was on a 40-day fast so that he would be hungry, so that when the devil tempted him with food, with this idea of you want to eat something, that he would experience temptation. He, the devil you know, tempted him in, in spiritual ways too, saying, I, you know, look, all you have to do is bow down and worship me and I'll take my hand off all this, the kingdoms of this world. This can all be yours again. 
So he experienced that temptation. Totally. And, and that's why that verse has always really been meaningful to me because he's saying that this high priest knows mm-hmm. our, our afflictions, that he's been tempted as we are, but it says something important, yet without sin. So, and I'm sorry if that's a King James, but that's what it says. It's like he's been tempted as we are yet without sin. He didn't give into it so that when we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation kind of thing. He knows what that feels like. Yeah. Jesus knows what it feels like to be tempted because he allowed himself yeah. to be tempted. And it's not to be condescending toward no, us. No, 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 it no. It says so that he can sympathize with us yes. in our weakness. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's. It's just kindness. One of the, when we're done with Ephesians, we should teach Hebrews. We should go through Hebrews because that's, that's a great another, book. That's another a great book. book. Do you think Paul wrote it? I do. But I, do. I do too. But I wouldn't die on that. Yeah, <laughs> me so I wouldn't be like if somebody came and said, "No, Paul didn't write Hebrews." I can't prove it, but it just it just sounds a lot like Paul. So C.S. Lewis talking about temptation. He has this great quote. I'm going to read it real quick. He says, "No man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good." A silly idea is current is that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They've lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside of us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. The only complete realist. (laughs) That's very true. So... Um, that none of that had anything to do, well, it did have stuff to do with Ephesians, but it wasn't Ephesians directly. <laughs> um, verse 25 says, therefore, which again, now we have to look back and see what it was there for, right? That's right. Mr. Seminary. And you see a therefore, you have to a, ask, what's it there for? So based on all of these things that he's just been talking about, which is putting off the old self, putting on the new self, therefore, because we've done this, we've put on the new self, having put away falsehood. So that tells me that that's the old self we put off. So falsehood mm-hmm. is part of that old lifestyle. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And then here's the verse that's really, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So Sam, five words or less, what's this talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so, so each of these three verses, they're, they're all talking about speech, actually. So, you know, put away falsehood. And the idea is, he says, you know, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. I read somewhere where it's like, you know, because we're members of one body, there's no deceit in us. It doesn't make sense for us to lie to one another because we're all pulling to the same same end. And they said, you know, it'd be like if I placed my hand on a burning stovetop, it'd make no sense for my hand's nerve endings to relay a cold sensation to my brain because it's going to injure and affect my whole body. So as a member of the body, I need to be truthful, right? And because that we're all members of one another. And then when he gets in and he says, "Do be angry and do not sin, which is kind of a weird command, be angry, right? What God is saying there is there are things in this world that should cause anger in you, that you should be morally outraged at, you know, 
the exploitation of the poor, uh, injustice, slavery, those kinds of things should drive you to anger. But he says, do not sin. And then he goes on and he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And what we, what we might not know here is that he's actually quoting from Psalm 4. And verse 4 of Psalm 4 says, be angry and do not sin. But again, Paul changes something here. The first part of verse 4, Psalm 4 says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. And so Paul, I think he's speaking about the same thing. He says, be angry, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, you're in your bed pondering what what this injustice is. Hmm. But instead of saying, you know, where Paul says, give no opportunity to the devil, the psalmist, David, writes, be silent. (laughs) In other words, if you open your mouth while you're angry, you're giving the devil an opportunity to bring division and trouble. And so where David says, when you're angry, you know, don't sin, shut right. up, close your mouth. <laughs> Paul's saying, don't give an opportunity for the devil. So when you're angry, be careful what you say. See, now I can't say anything. No, 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 no. I will tell you that many, probably most of the really bad situations that I have found myself in throughout my lifetime could have been mitigated or at least greatly reduced if I had just kept my mouth uh-huh. shut. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> this, is, this is true not only in life, marriage, parenting. Every, every, <laughs> everywhere. So, and, and that calls to mind the verse in James one nineteen, where he says that uh, everyone should be quick to listen, but slow to speak and slow to become angry. You know, it's like we will do much better in any situation. If we remember that you need to listen more than you need to talk <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that will keep you out of a lot of trouble. Thinking about that, where you talked about, um, be angry. And you were saying that there's things that should make you angry. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always heard the do not let the sun go down on your anger being used in the context of anger. That isn't a good, that isn't right. Mm-hmm. So if it's anger that I should be angry about, then it's okay to be angry about it again tomorrow. So is there anything in that? Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Yeah. I mean, so, so because Paul is quoting David in Psalm four, right? We lean on what David says in Psalm 4, and so it says, be angry and do not sin, but you know where he goes right after that. So if you're in bed, like, I mean, you go to bed and you're just angry. Something happened during the day that just has your guts and knots and you want vengeance and you want justice. What what David says when he moves on in Psalm 4 is, put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. And so where David goes with this is, okay, I'm really angry right now. I want justice. But the way that I go to bed in peace, the way that I don't let the sun go down on my anger is by going to the Lord and saying, you know what? I'm going to trust you with this. You have always shown me more good. You're better than any of my friends, even or enemies. When the grain and wine abound, when things are good, you're still better to me than all of them. And so I'm not going to be angry with them. Instead, I'm going to remember that you are good to me and Mm -hmm. you're enough. And so I'm going to put my trust in you with this situation, and I'm not going to let it consume me tonight because this is the computer era i looked up psalm 4 while you were talking about psalm 4 and i just verse 8 the way that 
yeah, as it continues, then they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. That is, you know, because <laughs> yeah. you, 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 you said you started Exclamation this. Exclamation point. Yes. Like, that's mic drop. You started this by saying, you know how it is when you go to bed angry. I almost interrupted to say, I can't get to sleep. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. I can't sleep. If, I, if, I'm, if I'm really upset about something, there is no way sleep is happening. <laughs> One of the worst things that can happen when I get into bed and, and Laura rolls over to me at like 1045 at night and says, can we talk? And it's like, oh, no, <laughs> because she will be able to, to go to sleep. And then I'm staying up and I'm thinking of all the responses and where this could, because I'm an idiot sinner. <laughs> And she really does go, okay, Lord, I trust you with it. And I'm going, how do I win? You know? <laughs> and I can't sleep until I give it over to the Lord. Right. And, and at least I can't sleep well yeah. until I, you know, like he does, in peace I lay down and sleep. For you alone, O oh Lord, make me dwell in safety. So when, when Paul is saying, don't let the sun go down on your anger, what he's really saying is give this to God. Correct. You know, if this is keeping you up at night, you're not doing it right. So there, there's a there's the modern day. Like, if but, this is keeping you up at night, you're not doing it right. <laughs> but but think about that. If you try to own this rather than giving it over to God, you're giving the devil a playground. Hmm. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Yeah, boy, that's good. So um, we come now to the last section of the the last group of verses, which I'm just looking at the time that we've already recorded on this, and I'm thinking we're going to be here for another hour and a half. We're good, this. we're good. We're good, we're good. Okay, so verses 28 to 32. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So in all this, when Paul gets into a role, you know, even going back to verse 25, one of the things that he does and he does this for the rest, starting at verse 25, for the rest of the epistle, is he gives this negative example, and it's always backlit by what it looks like from a person who's infused with the gospel. So he'll say, you know, put away falsehood, speak the truth, right? Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Then he goes in verse uh, 28. 28. Let the thief no longer steal. So there's the bad idea. Like, we don't steal, but... On, on the contrary, labor, do your honest work so that you have something to give away. <laughs> like it's the gospel response. You're not taking things you didn't earn, but you're earning things and then giving them away. It's not just don't let the thief steal. It's let, the th- let this person be somebody who becomes generous. The opposite right. of thievery isn't don't be a thief. The opposite of thievery is be generous. And that's that's what, interesting to me. <laughs> but that's where he's going with all these. It's not just that you stop doing the bad stuff. It's that you're infused with the power of the Spirit wow, to be positively righteous. I don't know that I've actually looked at it that way before, but you're right. That's, that's really something. So like the next one, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. That's the negative example. And he doesn't say, so then stop using corrupting words. Right. No, he says, 
Um, only such as is good for building up that fits the occasion that it gives grace to those who hear. So mm-hmm. it's not just and that that word corrupting. It's interesting that it l- comes from a root, uh, the Greek. It, it literally means to rot or decay. So you don't use speech that tears down and makes things corrode. Use speech that builds up and gives grace and makes things beautiful. Mm-hmm. So it's the opposite. And then all of these have a negative and then a positive. And then I love this one because it breaks the rule. But it's teaching us something by breaking the rule. <laughs> he says, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, right? Which you're thinking, okay, well, then the negative is going to be. You do something nice then, for the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. You, you've got to earn the favor of the Holy Spirit of God, right? Or you've just gotta, make the Holy Spirit of God yeah, feel good. <laughs> yeah, make, make him But he doesn't. He says, by whom you're sealed for the day of redemption. In other words, there's nothing you're going to do that's going to jeopardize your relationship with the Holy Spirit. You might grieve him, but you don't lose your salvation. You might grieve him, but you're sealed, and nothing is going to change that ever. Mm. And so here's where he goes with that. So we both, and everybody listening, grieves the Holy Spirit. Yes. Like we do things where we, we, we grieve the heart of God. We don't treat our neighbors like we ought. We don't give him affection. We look for our fulfillment in lesser things. I think sometimes it's a mercy that he doesn't show us just how much we grieve yeah. him. Because honestly, I'm being serious here. For this is not a joke. I think that if I saw the things that I, it's just such a constant thing. Yeah. It yeah. is, you know. It's, it's heavy. It's a heavy thought. But he says, you know what? You're, you're going to grieve me. Don't. Right. But you're going to grieve me. And it, even when you do, you're sealed for the day of redemption, right? right? In other words, you're going to offend me. You're going to hurt me. You're going to do all these things that cause me grief. And yet my love for you will never be moved one iota. You are sealed for the day of redemption. And then the next thing is then he comes to us and he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. In other words, you've got a bunch of people who've grieved you, don't you? You mm. Don't you? You know, <laughs> you have lots of reasons why you want to have be bitter and wrathful and angry. And if there's anyone who deserves to be wrathful and bitter, it's God, right? Right. We've offended him. And so what does he say? Don't have those things, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, put them away from you along with all malice and instead be kind to one another like God has been to you. Be tender-hearted like God has been to you. Forgive as, and then it finishes, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so why do we do these things? How do we do these things? You can't just put a checklist together and go, I'm going to do all this stuff unless first, like you talked about, you have to preach this message to your mind and get who you are in Christ. Right. And that God has showered all of these blessings on you that you have been the the recipient of all of his kindness that then transforms you in this new identity that you're an adopted son or daughter of the king and then you move out from that new identity to do all of these beautiful things you're no longer blind and deaf and numb and calloused now you see something precious you have a light in your eyes now you've been changed to do the will of God in this new identity. You want to do his will because you've received it. I mean, just as a practical matter, I don't have to tell you, Sam, let don't be bitter or have wrath or be anger or be malice if what you're doing is looking for opportunity to be kind. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there's the, the laundry list of things we're not supposed to do. Guys, don't worry about that. 
Because if you're doing the right things, if you're, if you're being kind to one another, you're having a tender heart, you forgive one another as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you, then you're not going to be filled with malice. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be slandering somebody. You're not going to be full of anger and wrath because you're looking to be kind. You're looking to be tender hearted. So it used to be that the list of do's and don'ts in the 613 laws in the mm-hmm. Mosaic didn't always seem to me to be related to each other. There would be, you know, oh, you, you know, this is what you need to do for God on Tuesdays, and this is what you don't need to do on Thursdays. And the, the connection between them weren't necessarily there for me. Um, but in this case, it's just if you've been, you know, preaching that right message to yourself, and you're somebody now that's being focused on the things that, that, that the new identity is focused on, the kindness and mm-hmm. the forgiveness, then you don't need to have a big, long list of things not to do. Let's just talk about mm-hmm. the things that he wants us to do. Yeah. You know? That's 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 true. You know. The main thrust of what he's getting at here right. is, you know, so much of society looks at all these different behavior traits and they go, Well, if you're gonna be a Christian, you've gotta let's see, let's look at Paul's checklist. Right. And what Paul is saying, no, no, no. If you're genuinely, if you've taken off the old self and you've put on the new self and you're in Christ, this will be the natural outflowing of it. Right. Like doing these things doesn't make you a Christian. Being a Christian makes you these things. Hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. I will let that stand as our last word on the uh, latter half of Ephesians chapter 4. We hope that you've enjoyed your time with us uh, this week and that it has been profitable for you. We do in- invite you to keep up not only with these podcasts, but also the One Body, One Mission series of messages that's being preached right now at Rio Vista Community Church. If you're not here on Sundays to listen to them, do take advantage of our smartphone app or our website at riovistachurch.com uh, and stay up with those messages too because the pastors here have done a really wonderful job at making practical applications um, from these great positional truths. And they really are, it's, it's really two sides of the same coin, and it's something that you really do need to keep up with. If you have questions that you would like to ask us or comments that you'd like to make, perhaps a topic you'd like us to take up, we have an email address for you. It's out of water, all run together that way, because just like Paul, I can't be bothered to look at punctuation. So out of water at riovistachurch.com. You can also find all of the back episodes of our podcast on our webpage at riovistachurch.com slash out of water or Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts, that's where we want to be. We'll be back with Ephesians 5, and we'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed your time with us, and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash out of water.